Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Uh, today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listener. You can become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. And I want to thank Pat for becoming uh, one of our Patreon supporters at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Thanks so much for your support, Pat. You can also support the show on a one-time basis, support.greatdetectives.net, using the Zelle app to send a box 13 at greatdetectives.net, or by mail to Adam Graham, P.O. Box 1591. 151913 Boise, Idaho 83715. Well, now it's time for today's episode of T Man, and this is the first aired episode of T Man. The original air date is July the 1st of 1950, and the title is Show Business is No Business. T-Man, starring Dennis O'Keefe. T-Man, the law enforcement agent of the Treasury Department. Skilled fighter against crime, relentless enemy of the underworld. T-Man, Steve Larson, played by Dennis O'Keefe. In tonight's transcribed Treasury case... Show business is no business. The way this thing began, you couldn't tell how big it was or how far it would spread. First, there were a few very pretty $5 bills picked up in Albany, New York. It was nice paper, and the engraving was almost perfect. When bills as good as that start floating around, the Treasury Department gets awfully jumpy. So I jumped from Washington to Albany. I spent most of the day in Albany trying to find somebody who remembered receiving one of the bills. Then about 5.30 in the evening, I was talking to a bartender named Louie at the Hudson House. Like I'm telling you, Mr. Larson, I just can't be sure. Maybe it was this same who asked for Dubonet and vodka, and maybe it wasn't. Anyhow, you never saw her before. No, I never. Anyway, she asked for a Dubonet and vodka, she slips me this bill, see? The one you got there. And I think nothing about it, I give it a change. I think. You think? Well, uh, that is, I mean, if she is the one that gave me the bill. Seems like she was, then again, maybe she wasn't. Can you describe the woman? What did she look like? Oh, like this, see? Like this and like that. Yeah, yeah. Her face, I mean. Oh, her face? Oh, I guess I didn't look. Anyhow, I don't remember. Do you think you'd recognize her if you saw her again? Certainly I'd recognize her. Who wouldn't? My man, I'm telling you, she was just about... Louie was still telling me when I left the place. My Washington plane didn't leave until midnight... So I had five hours of nothing to do. I ate something, drank something, read the paper, yawned, tried to decide whether to try to balance my expense account, yawned, and found myself staring out the restaurant window at the theater across the street. The sign on the marquee read Lydia Lane and Archer Vance in blood on the front page, not a movie. Though I had never heard of either of the actors or the play, I decided to see the not-a-movie. Because there's nothing in this world as awful 
as wonderfully awful as a really bad play. I love them. And this one I had a feeling I was going to adore. Even across the street and through a plate glass window, it stank. I followed my nose. Any seat you want in the house. How about the sixth row sit around? That'll do. Thank you, sir. I I say... Yeah? You know somebody in this play? (laughs) No, I... Well, why? Only reason I can figure out why anybody would want to see this turkey. That bad? You want your money back now or later? Hmm. How long has the turkey been laying its eggs in this basket? This is the second night. Tomorrow night, East Lynn... A very sour man in the box office. I left him counting bales of unsold tickets and groped my way through the dark to a lonely pew, six-row center. There were a few other unfortunates scattered in the gloom, obviously lost. On the stage, two remarkably curvaceous girls swished their 1880 costumes around an 1880 set that was supposed to represent a small newspaper office in the Southwest. They seemed to be having some trouble about love. I listened and Julia, got my ears Julia, assaulted by things me. like this. I've known about you and John all along, right from the beginning. But I will not give him up, my dear Julia, not if I have to kill you. Nonsense, Grace, nonsense. Do you think you can frighten me? I laugh at your threat. Ha <laughs> ha. But wait, here comes John now. At this Shall point, I... Johnny threw open the door and entered with a sweeping gesture. Ah, Julia. Ah, Grace. John. Have you heard the news? Pedro Gomez, the bandit, is reported on his way to this very town. But why is he coming here? I believe he intends to revenge himself upon me for certain stories I have published in my paper. Oh, John, you must flee! Me too, I thought. And flee I did, right up the aisle and into the lobby. Unfortunately, the box office was closed. A man in a camel's hair polo coat was leaning against the ticket window, cleaning his fingernails. As I passed, he looked up and spoke. Couldn't take it, huh? Only in small doses. Have you seen it? Yep. Does it get any better later? Worse. You can't help wondering who puts up the money for a thing like that. Some dope. You alone? Mm-hmm. How's if I buy a drink? The man said his name was Lee M. Parry. He didn't ask my business, and I didn't ask his. On the surface, this was just a casual encounter. When we were standing at a nearby bar with drinks in our hands, I uh, I began to wonder. You live in Albany, Larson? Oh, no, no, I don't. Mind if I ask where you do live? Oh, no, not at all. I'm upstate, Buffalo. Why? Travel? Some. Back quite a lot. Then I might have seen you anywhere. Are you, uh, you mean you think you've seen me before? When you first came out of the show, I thought so. Now I'm not so sure. Say, you wouldn't be connected with the Anson Withers and Grant people, would you? No, no, I'm more or less on my own. You know them, though. In Buffalo, they're big. Well, let's just say I know of them. Just of them. Yeah. I gotta use the phone. Be right back. I knew I'd made a mistake the instant the words were out of my mouth. This man, Lee Ampery, the dark stranger in the polo coat, had tried to find out whether I would tell the truth about myself. But why? I finished my drink and went back to where there were a couple of phone booths. They were both empty, and Mr. Amperry was nowhere. Just to be sure, I made use of one of the booths. 
long distance. I want a number in Buffalo, New York, operator, but I, uh, I don't know the number. The name is Anson, Withers, and Grant. Just a moment, please. After an efficiently brief moment, I got the answer I knew I'd get. I'm sorry, sir. Anson, Withers, and Grant is not listed in Buffalo, New York. I went back to the bar and ordered another drink. I was waiting for it when... Uh... Is anybody sitting here? Oh, no, no. There was somebody, but uh, I don't think he's coming back. What do you have? I beg your pardon. <laughs> Take it easy, Anne. You know my name? Well, I'm not sure I know your name, but I remember the one I saw on the program tonight. Ann Rivers, wasn't it? Oh, you saw the play tonight. Wasn't it lousy? Mm, yes, indeedy. But you, you were great. Absolutely great. Of course, you have to say that. Yes, isn't it silly? Am I that bad? Darling, you're terrible. Well, thanks a lot. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess I should No, I suppose you're right. But it's such a bad play. One scotch and soda, light on a soda. Oh, uh, the lady? Oh, um, vodka and 7-Up. No, uh, Dubonnet? Why Dubonnet? 7-Up. Right. I don't even know your name. Steve Larson. Hello, Steve. Hello. Hey, uh, it's only a little after 10 o'clock. Is the curtain down already? I'm not in the last act. Oh, I see. Oh, uh, I was talking to Lee a few minutes ago. Lee? Lee Ampere. Who's he? The, uh, the guy in the camel's hair coat. I like camel's hair on a man. Mink is better on a woman, though. Don't you think so, Steve? Sure, sure. You aren't a talent scout, are you? <laughs> well, uh, yes and no. Oh, that means yes, doesn't it? No, that means no. Oh, Steve, I like you. Man, I'm glad you do. Don't forget me just because you saw me in a lousy play tonight. Nobody could do anything with those lines. Where can we go right now? Where can we go? Oh, well, <laughs> I've got to catch a plane. I... Just for a few minutes, someplace where it's quiet. Or, well, maybe it's quiet enough here. Listen, think of me as Juliet in Romeo and Juliet. Oh. Act two, scene two. Mm -hmm. This bud of love by summer's ripening breath may prove a beauteous flower when next we meet. Good? Oh, darling, what can I say? Reading those immortal lines, you were... you were copacetic. And now, dear one, parting is such sweet sorrow. Night. I folded my Arabs like a tanter, however it goes, and silently stole away into the night in the general direction of the car which was to take me to the airport. At a dark corner as I approached the waiting carriage, there were sounds and alarms. Hey, Chuck. Me? Yeah, you. I lifted my nose out of the gutter and sat up. Why would anybody want to shoot me? At least, why would anybody want to shoot me in Albany? In Tokyo, yes. Mexico City, yes. Berlin and Cape Town, sure. But why Albany? I didn't have the answer to that one, so I took the plane back to Washington to report to the chief. A most interesting life you've been leading in Albany, Steve, but it doesn't throw much light on those phony $5 bills. I know, and I'm just as much in the dark about the pot shots somebody took at me last night. Well, what do you propose to do next? Wait. 
For what? Phony $5 bills. If this is an organized ring, they'll lay low for a few days and then start passing again. And I've got a hunch they won't be operating in Albany. All right. I'll have all the bank reports of bad money routed to your desk as they come in. Good. I've got an idea we'll be seeing a lot more of that queer green. My hunch was right. For nearly a week, nothing more interesting was reported than three bad tens in San Francisco and a poorly made 20 in Butte, Montana. And then suddenly, the plague of phony fives began again from just one area, northern New York State. They showed up in such little towns as Pattersonville, Efreda, Kanajahari, and Esperance. Few turned up in Dwaynesburg and more than a few in Scotia. A quick look at the map showed me that Schenectady was right in the center of this area. I flew to Schenectady, and for the next two days, I talked to bank tellers, store clerks, and gas station attendants for miles around. I reported the results of this investigation to the Treasury Department, Washington, D.C. What the report said was, nothing. Back in Schenectady, I had an evening left over. The last plane had left, and I was at what is called loose ends. said that there was a play in town called Blood on the Front Page. I looked at my watch. It was something after 10 p.m., and I remembered that Ann Rivers wasn't in the last act, so I, uh, I went around to the stage door. Well, howdy. Ann Rivers off yet? Ann Rivers? Ann Rivers. She's in this show, you know. She's in this show, you know. She is, isn't she? Is she? Ain't she? There's always two sides to every question. <laughs> you got to admit that, don't you? I admit that. There's the Republican side and the Democrat side. Brooklyn and that other club. Uh, always two sides. Would a buck help any? Would a buck help any? Yeah. Oh, she's in Kelly's Winona Bar across the street, son. In Kelly's Winona, I found Ann Rivers brooding over a vodka and Coke. She saw me in the bar mirror as I came up behind her. Steve! Well, well, hello, Ann. You lied to me, didn't you, Steve? Very probably. About what? You are a talent scout, aren't you? And you followed me here to offer me a contract, haven't you? Oh, now, wait a minute. But, Steve... Uh, what, gorgeous? I won't start for less than a hundred a week, Steve. Oh, forget it, baby. You were wrong the first time, and you're wrong now. How's the show going? Lousy. Mm. Show business is no business, huh? With this turkey. Now, I've got a play that would really knock the people dead. Yeah, but... Listen, Steve, in the first act, the curtain isn't up three minutes before I'm... Uh, uh-oh. What's the matter? Here come Lydia and Archie. Lydia and... Oh, yes, I see. The lead's in your play. Lydia Vane and Archie Vence. That Lydia, she can't act her way out of a paper bag. <laughs> Oh, they've seen us. Lydia, darling! Mammy! Come here, Lydia. I want you to meet a dear friend of mine, Steve Larson. Uh, Steve, isn't she beautiful? <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. Darling, how do you do, Mr. Larson? Uh, this is Mr. Vance. How do you do? Hi. Will you uh, have a drink with us? Why, darling, I just love it. Double vodka. And Dubonnet? Just vodka, a double. Uh. What do you have, Mr. Vance? Vodka and Dubonnet. Let me have another look at you, will you, Mr. Vance? Uh, would you mind turning around? Why? Oh, no. 
No, Louis couldn't have met your figure. You aren't being funny, are you, Larson? No. Because if trouble's what you want, let's step out to the alley, shall we? Archie, Steve is a talent scout. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, old boy. I, I didn't know, really. Uh, let me buy the drinks, will you, old boy? Steve, is that true? Are you really a talent scout? In a word, no. Oh, you wouldn't admit it if it were true, would you? Uh, by the way, Steve, have you seen me in this play? Yes. Well? Frankly? Frankly. Lydia, you're great. You're absolutely great. Both you and Anne are terrific. And pretty, too. Now, you wouldn't lie to me. Well, not unless I thought I could get away with it. By the way, where's Lee? Lee who? Lee Ampery. I never heard of him. Steve, uh, don't you think we ought to go somewhere and dance? Wait a minute. Lydia, dear, I saw him first, you know. But, Annie, darling, you and Archie were just made for each other. I felt it from the beginning. Shall we go, Steve? We went. Lydia and I discovered that Schenectady, New York, is on the Mohawk River. We discovered that the Mohawk River is all right by moonlight. The trees were black against the smoothly moving silver surface of the Mohawk. There was nothing wrong with it. Nothing at all. Stevie, what do you do? Do? Well, I mean, darling, if you aren't a talent scout, what are you? <laughs> do you care? Steve, I don't say I love you. Oh, but you don't say that to all the boys. Now, I'm serious, Steve. I don't say I love you because I don't know whether I do or not. Yet. But, darling, I don't want you to be hurt. <laughs> How would I get hurt, baby? Just like this, Mac. <laughs> maybe it was training, maybe it was instinct. But I zigged when I should have zigged, and I zagged when I should have zagged, and I landed a straight left where a straight left is supposed to land. Score, one decision for the Treasury Department. Steve, darling, you were wonderful. Yeah, sure, sure. Who is this monkey, do you know? Oh, it's Ben. I mean, he plays the part of Ben in the play. His name is George something or other. Is he hurt? I'll be surprised if his nose isn't broken. Oh, dear. What's the matter? We won't be able to go on tomorrow night. Oh, darling, this is dreadful. Now, why'd you have to hit him so hard, Stevie? What are we going to do? We'll take him back to town and see if he can be put together again. While we were taking jealous George to the hospital, he came too. But he didn't seem to want to talk much. Oh. How do you feel, George? Oh, you stinker. What's the matter? You broke my nose. It just got in the way, George. You mustn't feel unhappy about it. How are you trying to do, anyway? You broke my nose. Why did you do it, George? Who told you to follow us? Well, Georgie was jealous, weren't you, Georgie? He broke my nose. Oh, poor Georgie. Darling, we'll get your nose all fixed up nice for you, won't we, Stevie? Yeah, we'll get George all fixed up nice, too. Say, George, do me a favor, will you? Uh, I just want you to yell two words. 
yell, hey, chum. <sighs> you want another little touch on that nose, George? You broke my nose. That is monotonous but true. Do you want to yell, hey, chum, or do you want another little touch? Hey, hey, chum. Come on, come on. Put your heart in it. Do it as if you had a gun in your hand on a dark street in Albany. Hey, chum. Come on, come on. Try it again. You can do better than that. Oh, you broke Yes, yes, I know. Now, let's try it again and give it everything you got. Hey, chum. Come on. Hey, chum. No. No, it doesn't sound right. Even making allowance for the nose, it doesn't sound right. After I deposited George and his nose at the hospital and Lydia in her pear-shaped tones at her hotel, I sought the peace and quiet of a secluded phone booth. And with the aid of three quarters and two dimes, I rousted the chief out of his comfortable Washington bed. Yeah, maybe, Chief, but I was lonely. I wanted to talk to someone. Well, make it fast. That play, the one blood on the front page, it's uh, showing in Schenectady. So? It seems too much of a coincidence that these phony $5 bills have always appeared in the neighborhood of the city where this frightful melodrama is cluttering up the stage. Yeah, I see. Also, when you consider that one of the members of this group of thespians tried to brain me tonight... Why? Your guess is as good as mine. Unless they're suspicious... Now, this, uh, this struggling ham is in the hospital with a broken nose, courtesy of your obedient servant. And he'll have to be replaced if the play is to go on tomorrow night and perish the thought that the good people of Schenectady should miss this opportunity to view the theater. Yeah, I'm beginning to see... Exactly. I shall apply for the role vacated by this hapless rogue. And if they are as suspicious of me as I think they are, they will welcome me to the cast. But you might be walking right into a trap. Mm, closing the door behind me. Pretty risky. I know, but I have an overwhelming curiosity about the flatbed printing press which is on stage in the second act. If that prints what I think it does, what a beautiful setup that would be. The chief agreed and returned to his broken slumbers in Washington while I repaired to my hotel room in Schenectady and rehearsed Hamlet's soliloquy far into the night in preparation for my debut in the theater. Next afternoon, I found the company manager of Blood on the Front Page just where I expected to, brooding over a beer in the bar across the street from the theater. Mr. Slauson? Yes? My name is Larson. Oh, yes, yes. Sit down, sit down, Mr. Larson. You're the fellow that messed up one of my actors. Well, it it could have happened to anybody. Uh, If you uh, haven't got anybody to take his place... How about giving the part to me? What makes you think you can act? Mr. Slauson, I caught this play. I caught it in Albany. I I don't think it's going to make any difference whether I can act or not. (laughs) Well, uh, okay. I had someone else in mind, but uh, you're just about right for the costume. All right, you've got the part. costume included boots, tight pants, a white shirt with a string tie, and an old six-shooter loaded with blanks. Slauson was right. The outfit, even including the boots, might have been made for me. We were in the dressing room when I twirled the gun on my finger, leveled it at my reflection in the mirror, and shot. Ah! Hey, what's the idea? Those blanks cost money. Got myself right between the eyes, Slauson. Off the hip, too. (laughs) Through the heart. I'm dead. Oh, Slauson, I was made for this part. Hmm, maybe you were at that. 
Come on, get that stuff off, and I'll, I'll give you your lines. There are only three of them. Three? Of course, they talk about you all through the play. Oh, I see. Uh, report for rehearsal at five o'clock. That'll give you three hours to learn three lines. Do you think you can do it? Mr. Slauson, you wound me. I am probably the quickest study you ever saw. When I left Slauson, I had my three lines in my pocket and plenty of time for a couple of rather important errands. First, I dropped in on a friend of mine who happened to be chief of police and asked him to do me a favor. Then I stopped at a sporting goods store. It was a big store, and they handled shells for practically every kind of a gun you could think of, from BB to elephant. I bought a handful of the kind I thought I might need, and then I went to the theater. I changed into my costume, including the gun belt, and came onto the stage. They, uh, they were all waiting for me. All right, here he is, the new Ben. You uh, know most of the cast, don't you, Larson? You can meet the rest later. All right, now, Arch, Lydia, you're peering out the window expecting to see Gomez when Larson here comes in the door. Make your entrance, Larson. Okay. Excellent. Now, come up to the printing press and lean against it. Good. Now, speak your eye. Hey. Wonderful. Just right. Now, uh, paying no attention to you, Lydia and Archer, come down stage center while you rest a hip against the press and uh, listen. Have you got it? Uh, you mean like this? Perfect. Now, uh, Anne, if you please. Sure. Yeah, this is the uh, this is the scene where you and Ben are lying on the floor. Give him a stew, will you, darling? Or perhaps you'd better give him the whole speech. Is it all right if I sit down instead of lie down? Lie down, please. Okay. Go ahead. Ben, you shouldn't have come, even for me. There's nothing you can do. Gomez is out there with all his men, and we're in here in a miserable little newspaper office. Ben, do you love me? Now, can I speak your line, please, Larson? Oh, oh, me? Oh, well, just a Where am I? Oh, Mr. Larson, you are lying on the floor of a small newspaper office in the southwest. The time is about 1880. Beside you is lying a very pretty girl, and bullets are screaming through the walls. Oh. And, and will you give Larson his cue again, please? Ben, do you love me? I love you. Perfect. Perfect. Mr. Larson, I congratulate you. Never in my many years in the theater have I heard those words spoken just that way. You like it? I despise it. Oh, well, shall I try it again? No, I no. It. At least you have been able to commit the line to memory. Now, now in your next scene, you and Archer are facing each other with drawn guns. You are leaning across the printing press, Mr. Larson, with a gun in your hand. Like this? Now a little farther to the left, please. There, there, that will do. Oh, don't worry. I, I've got the whole thing in my mind. I remember. Archie comes up and says uh, this and that and this and that, and I say, uh, take this, and I shoot. Like that. But nothing happens because I'm shooting blanks, and then Archie shoots, and I'm dead. Is that right? Uh, approximately. Oh, thanks. Say, Schlossen. Yes. This is a real printing press, isn't it? It is. I notice there's still a trace of green ink on the roller. You've got a $5 bill on you? Why? I just wondered if the color would match. Okay, that's enough, Larson. 
Why, if it isn't Mr. Ampere. How are all our friends in Buffalo, Ampere? I've been looking all over for you. I had an idea that if I joined the cast, you might come to see my performance. Larson, you're a natural-born comedian. Just stay right where you are and don't move. Oh, before I go, may I say a few words on behalf of the widows and orphans of lower amnesia? Go ahead. I want to hear anything you've got to say. Just don't move, that's all. Oh, what's the matter? Worried about this gun? Thanks. I'm laughing. Okay, go on and talk. Thank you. Mr. Ampari, ladies and gentlemen, let me congratulate you. This is one of the smartest counterfeiting setups I have seen in a long career with the Treasury Department. There's no need to hide the printing press. On the contrary, it's in full view of the audience. And if you use it between shows, you're simply rehearsing. You travel from city to city, providing an even distribution of your product. Very, very clever, Mr. Ampari. And if your play hadn't been so lousy, if I hadn't begun to wonder why anybody could be fool enough to go on with it, it might have really made money, stage money, for a long time. You finished? Almost, almost. Just one other thing. I suppose I'm going to be shot by accident during rehearsal, a gun that somehow got loaded with bullets instead of blanks? You guess it, chum. Go ahead, Archie. Not so fast, Archie. Archie! Now reach, all of you. I, I thought you said there were blanks in that gun. There were blanks. The first two. The rest of the bullets are real. Ah, this way, please. A bunch of stage door Johnnies from the Schenectady Police Department is waiting for you at the artist's entrance. T-Man, starring Dennis O'Keefe, is transcribed, produced, and directed by William N. Robeson, and was tonight written by Mindret Lord. Heard in Mr. O'Keefe's company were Verna Gill, Francis Cheney, Wally Mayer, Paul Fries, Ted DeCorsia, Ben Wright, and Rick Vellon. Original music composed and conducted by Del Castillo. Be with us again next week at this time when Dennis O'Keefe returns as T-Man Steve Larson to investigate the mystery of a San Francisco fishing smack whose decks were too clean. Same station, same time next week for T-Man. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Welcome back. Well, a really uh, fun episode. Uh, it does play into the fact that uh, uh, Dennis O'Keefe was very uh, experienced in uh, uh, comedy, and there's you know just a lot of really fun uh, scenes in this. It definitely gives it a lighter touch than the pilot. I love that bit where. He's wondering, you know, why somebody in Albany would want to kill him. And what makes it hilarious is like, 
you know, I, I could see, you know, somebody in Tokyo or enlist all of these cities where he's like, well, of course somebody there wants to kill me, but Albany? What have I done in Albany? Who have I ticked off enough in Albany to want to kill me? You know, I'm not in a city where I expect to be killed. And that is a very unique perspective. Now, the name of the character is changed from the pilot from Dan O'Brien to Steve Larson. And if I were to speculate on the reason for that, it seems to me that this is probably a case where it's a rights issue. If they had uh, Dennis O'Brien, they would have to pay royalties to the screenwriter of T-Man, most likely. And in the movie T-Man, they really didn't do anything, say, to develop O'Brien's uh, character. He was essentially a generic uh, treasury agent, never really even given any background uh, or anything like that. So I could see saying, why would we pay uh, for the rights to use a character name when there's not really a developed character there? Well, I do want to go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. I want to thank Shauna. Shauna's been one of our Patreon supporters since June of 2019, currently supporting us at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Thanks so much for your support, Shauna, and that will do it for today. Join us back here tomorrow with uh, Dick Tracy on Video Theater. And we'll be back on Monday with uh, Box 13 next Saturday, another episode of T-Man. In the meantime, send your comments to Box13 at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.